0: welcome to Always Take Notes. In this episode, Simon spoke with Ferdi Ellis.
1: So Ferdi is a historian, particularly of Rome. Uh, He wrote a big book, uh, A Biography of the City, which we talked about that. Also, uh, his earlier work doing some shorter books for slightly uh, different nature and his next project going forward. Enjoy. So hello and welcome to Always Take Notes. Uh, I'm here with Ferdi Ellis. Ferdi, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Um, Thanks. I wanted to I wanted to dive right in as we always do and start by talking about uh Elci Elagabalus. Is that right? <laughs>
2: Elagabalus, yeah. Elagabalus.
1: My so favorite, my preferred emperor.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: can you now could you could you give a, a brief uh prairie? So he's a, he's a Roman emperor of of what period?
2: He's he's a Roman emperor of the 3rd century AD and he really um comes just at the beginning of what's called the 3rd century crisis. Okay. So he's one of the last emperors before or really he's 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 at the tipping point when a long period of Roman stability and prosperity uh tips over into a long period of civil war during which emperors are turning over very very rapidly. Um and he comes towards the end of a dynasty, um the Severan dynasty. Um and the result is he has a very, very bad reputation. He he is an emperor who... Bad at the time
1: or bad in, in the view of sort of
2: later chroniclers? I mean, later chroniclers is, is what we have. Um, So one has to be careful judging what his reputation was at the time, but he was violently deposed. Yeah. So, you know, reasonably bad at the time, I yeah. can say for sure. Um, And I like him because he was very young. Um, I can't remember exactly how old he was when he became emperor, but he was in his teens. Mm -hmm. um, And he was brought to Rome as emperor, but really that was a consequence of some very deep politics that was happening. There was a whole family, a powerful family behind him, um, some very powerful women, his grandmother, his mother, his aunt. Um, And Rome at that stage, you have to imagine a huge... Empire a huge an increasingly large sort of state machinery based around the army um and this boy, this teenager, gets swept up by huge forces, brought to Rome, installed as emperor and and really very quickly crushed by those forces so he's raised he's raised up and then smashed down and history is very unkind to him the 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 they tell stories about um, they're the, a sort the, of notorious the story, <laughs> the story. In fact,
1: about <laughs> the athlete.
2: Oh yes, well the athlete. Might, yeah, that's that's. Uh, you're you're going to have to relate this. I'm Am right. I going yeah, yeah. to yeah. tell yeah <laughs> <of the athlete. laughs> um, I can't remember exactly where this comes from, but but the story is that he sent out uh, envoys around the across the empire to find to find people with who were exceptionally well endowed. Um, but he he loved he loved uh big manly men. And they found one. They found an athlete in Greece who had a Titanic member, and brought him before the emperor. And of course, this poor athlete was so undone by fear that the, you know, the the the, the organ for which he had been selected refused to quiver. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, it hung uselessly. And of course, in the story, he thinks, the athlete thinks he's about to be executed, thrown to the lions. Uh, he very reasonably thinks that that's what's going to happen. But no, the young, the boy emperor takes him rather tenderly and they sit together in the bath, the enormous athlete, broad-shouldered, broad-chested and Elagabalus, the boy emperor, nestled, curled up in his arms. And that's the that's the picture <laughs> that we're left with. And of course, to a Roman historian, this is this is evidence of the most awful effeminacy and weakness of character. But it's actually kind um, of
1: thought. To, to a last day view is rather attractive, as
2: a... somehow it is. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, ha- having
1: having started literally in Medias Res um, it's it's now clear to our listeners that you are a historian of Rome. Um, I wanted to fall back to your, your visit in, in oversized jeans. Was this when you went to uh, to Rome as a teenager, <laughs> or kind of when, when did you become interested in the ancient world?
2: Well, there are. There are t- I mean, these are two different questions really um uh, c- as quite a young teenager i was a an, a classics nerd i think it's fair to say um i remember over one summer holiday reading the whole of livy which is a sort of uh, you know frightful thing to do really i mean in uh, latin not in latin okay. that would that would have been really unforgivable but uh, you know ju- uh, it's, it's it's a long book it's it's not typically what you, what you read on the beach but it it for me it had the appeal of fantasy almost. It was uh, like reading Tolkien, for example. Okay. Um, a wor- a new world of heroes, myths, stories that also counted as history. It had the additional uh, frisson of being purportedly true. Trueish. True. Trueish. Truthy. You, uh, you know, it was it was of course a lot less true than I thought at the time. Okay. <laughs> but. <laughs> Um, what, what had
1: instigated this? Was it a teacher or a parent, or
2: I suppose my my mother's been interested in Rome uh, for a long time. She she actually made a she made a board game about Rome okay. when we were children, and we used to play it. It had um, Roman ro- uh, there were Roman uh, games, mini games that you would play what, while Ludo, moving your Ludo. little. What is it? It was not Ludo. It was it was. Very, very complicated. Okay. Totally of her own invention, and okay. with with her own art. um
1: Yeah. Do you feel that that you know when you know the same age, when we were growing up, that Rome, you know, back before Rome was cool, as it were, was it was it more of a it, minority? Is Rome of, cool now?
2: Well, I mean, you know, it's more. It's, it's
1: around a lot.
2: It's around a lot. It's always it's, been around a lot. Yeah. Do you think um, it was more of
1: a minority sport then?
2: I, th- I think it was harder to justify an interest in it as a teenager than it is now i mean i, I have a that, photograph but that's my, a matter of in age in
1: me <laughs> dressed as a legionnaire do you do you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes yeah. with that sort of thing that hangs over your crotch to protect your yes uh, made yes out of milk bottle tops oh wonderful yeah that's so good um but you're saying okay so the interest in rome but
2: then you're
1: going to rome where does that fit
2: so going to rome was much was much later um i think the first time i went um, it, it, as a sort of independent, conscious human was yeah. on my gap year. Okay. And, you know, it was a very poorly planned gap year and we drifted in, me and some friends, um, without really any sort of plan and without any money and without any, um, you know, without a great deal of of focus at all. And in retrospect, you know, it, it's a moment that writers like to recall When they do their book about Rome, Um, Robert Hughes, the great uh, art critic, did a book about Rome. And you you, said
1: everyone makes this up, right? The thing thing about Gibbon, like saying how he's inspired, at a place that wasn't the place, at a time that wasn't the time.
2: Gibbon, Gibbon's was a little bit made up, but no, I think in general it's a real moment. I I believe these moments. You know, I believe Robert Hughes when he describes his raptures um, as he first stepped into Benigni's uh, colonnade of St. Peter's. Um, People come to Rome ready to be astounded, and they duly are. Um, And why not? It's an astounding city. But that wasn't, as it happens, that wasn't my experience because I arrived as a late teenager... With, on the one hand, this sort of history, this sort of half-forgotten history, Livy and, uh, you know, a Latin A-level. And, you know, I, so, so I, I was still a classics nerd. But on the other hand, I was a sort of drifting teenager living in bus stations um, okay. of Southern Europe. And we arrived in Rome and ended up on the periphery kendi, eating, um, you know, cellophane-wrapped panini. Yeah. Um, and it was just exquisitely unglamorous, and uncaptivating as an experience, and I think okay. I like to think that that there's something healthy about that, um, because Rome, Rome can really it's in it, people can be too deferential towards Rome. It it invites a sort of reverence that can be obscuring. You know, Rome is a very it's a very chaotic. Uh, crumbling sort of dirty run-down city in many ways um it's a city with a lot of problems it's a city that has this monumental character that generations of tyrants and popes have tried to add to but at the same time it's intensely human it's very
1: what is the population now
2: oh i don't i wouldn't like to say i mean i think it's a, a small number of millions yeah um depending on how you, where you draw the limit. And what about, you know, you then do a classics degree. How much
1: does that experience of academic study of classics and of the languages, how how related to that is to what you do now? Or is it a very separate sport?
2: It certainly is related, um, albeit indirectly. Yeah. I didn't have the idea. Did you do Greek? Was, did you do Greek at an issue? I did Greek as well, yeah. I, I did Greek and Latin. Um, at school and at university and I didn't have the idea then of doing anything particularly with it I, I, d- I didn't intend to have a career as an academic yeah. or as a historian um, and so I suppose I was acquiring knowledge for the sake of knowledge knowledge because it was I found it fascinating knowledge because classics is very interesting but it was not directed at anything and there was a long gap between finishing my degree in classics and returning to classics um sort of five or six years later um but why is classics you know that well there's an answer to the question why is classics interesting but that may not be you know this may not be the time to give it go Twenty seconds. Twenty seconds. Well, that's interesting. It's the strangeness of it. You, in classics, you encounter a world that is, in many ways, just like ours. You can read letters sent from Cicero to his friend, in which he reveals concerns that are recognisably human and sometimes feel quite modern. And then, in the next breath, he's talking about slaves or um, conquering Britain or. One minute, it's familiar, the next minute, totally strange. And that applies to Greek tragedy, that applies to um, comedy. How, how important are the languages, do you think, to have the languages? I mean, that's, that is a difficult question with a lot of, uh, with sort of tricky elements to it. Th- th- they are important. Um, reading Latin or Greek in the original is 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 different to reading it in translation and if you look at uh, just the other day i was i was comparing translations of catullus mainly for fun but they're so different mm. you know you, from one latin poet in poem you can go in so many different directions you can t- be very earthy and um you know th- th- there's uh, you said i could swear you li- liberally <laughs> <laughs> liberal swearing um uh a translation by rose cavaney it was it was reviewed in the TLS the other day, renders a line of Catullus, fuck you, death, fuck you, greedy death, I think. Um, And then I looked, you know, there's uh, someone else's version uh, a few years, from a few years before, I forget the name, renders it into these very delicate, sort of assonant, uh, elaborate line. And these are both valid translations. So in short, the original has a... Is you, is worth getting at yeah um at the same time, the requirement to speak Latin and Greek or to read Latin and Greek puts off people from studying classics who mm-hmm. ought to study classics who you wouldn't want to put off from studying classics I mean, what, what about you know the the basic argument
1: which you know I don't see the best here, but like it's old, it's boring it's irrelevant like it's it's the legacy of a failed educational system, all of those you know all the, the traditional arguments that sort are of, the wheeled out what are your thoughts about?
2: I mean I think th- you know there is a case for taking turning a skeptical eye to classics mm-hmm. especially classics with with uh, you know inverted commas the very word classics is a relic of a vanished education system mm-hmm. um why do we regard these this particular set of authors as classic and others as I don't know what, degenerate, yeah. uh, fallen. Um, <laughs> why, do, why, why does this one period of human history, this one p- little bit of human culture understood in a particular way, establish the class? Um, you know, the idea that our modern Western civilization is uniquely descended from something called the classical period is problematic and should be interrogated. Yeah. Um, at the same time, there is this body of literature that exists from Greece and ancient Greece and Rome that does not exist from, you know, the ancient Carthage, for example, yeah. that offers a unique opportunity to travel back in time, and that is extremely worth doing. I mean, I thought it was very interesting. Um,
1: I was reading. I think we talked about this in Italy, but about the the production history of Gladiator, the film, which <laughs> talks about. <laughs> Um, a how they like they had no script when they arrived in Morocco and Russell Crowe ad libbed large bits, but but also about like the battle scene at the beginning, which everyone remembers, and how it's yeah. like you know they had stirrup, they, the Romans had no stirrups, mm. but they had to have stirrups so people could ride them, and they had catapults, but they never set fire to things, and like, the, the, you know that that scene which so many people would think of as a sort of you know, Rome thing is actually like a kind of completely fictionalized notion it's sort of you know it's cinema Rome, right mm, which is like mm. a recognizable thing yes but um i just find that it's, you know that almost like it's you, there are these sort of tropes that you can pick up and yeah you know, create something completely different right
2: no i mean c- cinema Rome is, is 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 wonderful and it's fascinating watching sword and sandals films from different periods different right. periods which, yeah. and and you know each it's amazing how they date I mean, even Gladiator is so recognisably sort of naughty in its, uh, it's CGI, ethos, it's CGI. <laughs> concerns, and its CGI. But the um, that sort of very manly, strengthened, honour version of Rome, yeah. um, I think, actually has, has fed into. It has become quite influential. The the Russell Crowe version of Rome. Uh, I mean, you know, all all sort of fur fur cloaks and manly stabbing. Yeah. Um and and there is this sandals in the cold sandals think. in the cold yeah um and um you know uh, Roman history is a certain vision of Roman history is very popular on I think the outright on the sort okay. of online right yeah. people love the sort of military trappings of Rome this is not of course new yeah. to <laughs> Roman <laughs> movements <laughs> but um the idea that rome was this sort of military marching in step manly hugging um yeah. culturally homogenous super state is very attractive with great roads with great roads yeah. and you know from which we we in the west uh are <laughs> are descended in some sense you know that 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 has a lot of traction with yeah Uh, you know a slightly dangerous element on there can we go back
1: then so so just in your own trajectory so you know you, you do your degree and then what are your what
2: is your path after that so I had it in my mind that I could be a journalist I think that was that was the path that seemed obvious seemed right to me and I went to work in television initially Um, as a researcher on documentaries. uh, And it was a very, it was one of those very formative experiences that you can have, which is formative by being very humbling. Um, And it revealed an enormous set of incapacities (laughs) that I have. Um, So, you know, in that sense, it was very healthy. But it took... You know, I was there for two or three years, I think, maybe a bit longer. And um, the culminating moment, we were making a dispatches, and it was one of those productions um, when everything is going slightly wrong, mm. and the story doesn't quite hold up, and the deadline is approaching, and we were quite a new team. It was the first time I'd done the dispatches. We were all a bit new. And... Somehow I ended up trying to organise one of those experiments, those sort of experiment stunts that you do on current affairs TV where you get people to point to, you know, guess at something and then they turn out to have guessed wildly wrong. Right. And the point was to demonstrate that breakfast cereal is very unhealthy or something. Okay. Um, anyway, I set up that you know, I spent all night uh, gluing pictures of breakfast cereal to a cardboard grid And, you know, in the next morning, the camera, everyone arrived, you know, uh, many thousands of pounds worth of camera, crew and equipment. And I had forgotten to organise any people, any members of the public to actually (laughs) do the experiment. And I didn't realise until half an hour before, it just didn't occur to me that that was something I ought to have done. And it was the most inexplicable lapse. Um, The sort of thing that haunts you ever after, because... How you 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 know when you just can't believe you've forgotten something. So you can't understand. So, so what happened? I had to I, I, I had to I ran I, I physically ran up and down um Hampstead High Street
1: Colour- grabbing people, people by the elbow and okay. saying,
2: I will pay you ten pounds of my money <laughs> to come and to participate in this experiment. And I think we managed to get, you know, four people, four members of the public plus the janitor, the school janitor, <laughs> you know, uh it was it was a big, it was a, it was an amazing failure, and the last time I worked in television, <laughs> So it was a, it was a good. But of your you know. own volition, or were you fired? Uh, I was not rehired. I was oh no, sort of.
1: And then after that, where do these these, these shorter books that we're we talking about where where do they fit into your progression?
2: Well, I suppose, I suppose that it, it, you know, TV was a great had been a great. Blow to my confidence, let's say. And there was one thing that I was confident that I could do, and that was write reasonably well. Mm-hmm. And through the grapevine, I heard that someone was commissioning sort of thirty thousand word books, the sort that you buy from the checkout at Waterstones. You know, they they sit uh, uh, for, some, for Michael O'Mara.
1: Uh, Who is Michael Moro? It,
2: it's a small publishing house. They do lots of these. They do, you know, all the Latin you forgot at school, or, okay. That's fine. um, uh, you know, ten things you forgot about trigonometry. Uh, okay. uh, um, i i i did uh, i did uh, i think um i did phrases that come from the classics or from classical mythology. Okay. Or phrases that come from the Bible. That was another one. But you did. Uh, I I wrote those two, yeah, okay. and I wrote I I also wrote one of the speeches that change the world books that come out every year okay you know every year has a speeches that change the world book and this year do the
1: speeches have to be from that year
2: no 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 okay. it's just that it's s- such a sort of p- uh hardy perennial, perennial idea <laughs> <laughs> in publishing um i think simon c beg montefiore has just done one this year so okay. he's that's that'll be quite a you know that'll be a big seller <laughs> but uh you know gettysburg address nice, <laughs> nice to see you again for whatever reason uh, in 2009 it was my year okay um <laughs> and you know and 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 they were it was a very precious opportunity for me in many ways um to see to get my name on the cover of a book Mm -hmm. um that's how i got an agent off the back of that um the first book i did independently and then armed with that with that book i got agented okay um My agent then negotiated approximately a fifteen percent increase in the fee for the second book, (laughs) (laughs) Um, which was great. Uh, But still, you know, it felt like the beginning of your net take was was, the same. same. But um, no, no, I mean, but it's great to have an agent, and that is the beginning of thinking of yourself as a writer. Yeah, you know, uh, um, and yeah, so so that was a big. Step and I started to think maybe this is something I can do. Maybe I can be paid for writing. Um, not very much.
1: <laughs> so <laughs> we we always ask everyone about money on the podcast. Yeah. So how you know after you you start working TV? How does it? How are you sort of keeping body and soul together? Or you know were, were these were these books paying enough
2: to support you? Or these books, I mean, just so the, the, they they the the basis the deal was five thousand pounds flat fee no royalty um and it's 30,000 words so you can do it reasonably fast um that's still not very much money it's me. not very much money but it's but and you know the lack of a royalty is annoying because they actually sell quite well okay. and uh, every so often nice friends uh text me saying i've just seen your book in waterstones have <laughs> you know i put it to the front <laughs> 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 you know like really weird. really don't put <laughs> it." <laughs> um and you were saying these, these
1: were published not... So your, your Roam book is under Ferdinand, but what was, what was your, your nom de plume for these? That's right.
2: I, I, I upgraded myself for the, for the Roam book to my full uh, trisyllable. Okay. Uh, th- these ones were published under Ferdiadis, okay. which is the name I ordinarily go by. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, coming back, b- being published again uh, 10 years or five years later, I'm a bit hazy on the chronology. I wanted to, you know, establish a slightly different writing identity, yeah. if that makes sense. Um, because the the three books I wrote before under Ferdi and this book are just wildly different in yeah. terms of scale and um, in, in terms of the effort I put in.
1: And were you doing other stuff in parallel? Were you doing journalistic work or things like that?
2: So in between the three books and the book on Rome, I worked for a company called The Day. Okay. Um which was a very sort of unglamorous but very worthy job which was to write news articles for schools. Okay. For 16-year-olds. And you know I actually regarded it, I, you know, I, I I think I think it was amazingly good training as a writer. Um because you have to write incredibly efficiently. You have 300 words to explain who Kim Jong-un is and why some 16 year old should care about him. Mm. And what that means is you have to find a story, you have to find a narrative through line that you can somehow make work in this very short space. And every single word, every character has to be dedicated to that story, has to be furthering the story there's no space for any fat or any fluff or any digression, mm. and you have to do that, you know, once or twice a day for five years, and it really, you know, it it it, it <laughs> of, you. It's like doing, um, you know, it felt like a sort of training montage. Okay, um, <laughs> you know, it's like doing a million sit-ups or something. Yeah. Uh, so I, so I felt like I left. I stopped when I stopped doing that. Um, towards the end of the writing process for the Rome book uh I felt incredibly lean you know I felt okay. like I'd, I felt like <laughs> <laughs> rocky going into the ring um and then you were at pages. really book. you know ready to ready to put on some weight again okay <laughs> um, and and
1: so how does the Rome book come about then as a I and mean, the process of you know the life cycle of producing this, how did that work
2: so the I mean the Rome book has a sort of slightly eccentric uh trajectory in a way we should say this is eternal city eternal city rome eternal city Mm -hmm. rome colon eternal city (laughs) (laughs) um and uh i think it was i i heard of a commission that was going to do a popular biography of rome in 20 episodes um And I really, you know, I think what they were looking for was someone who was going to be cheap and fast. And that was something I had established myself as able to do with the earlier work. So I put myself forward. I wrote a sample chapter. I said, I'm very cheap and very fast and I'd love to write your book on Rome. It was for me, it was absolutely... The project of my dreams. What was the pitch? It was like, uh, this is going
1: to be an episode. So that was the. The
2: pitch. I mean, the idea, which I think was a really good one, and I wish I could say it was mine, um, was to do a city biography, but to really explicitly do what a lot of city biographies do anyway, which is to have an episodic structure. Okay. And to be very ready to leap from one period of history to the next so you're not sort of tied to a chronological you're not tied to chronology yeah. and i think that's really important because a lot of city biographies i obviously i read a few to try and get an idea of their form they're sort of you know that they're, they're they're locked into this awful duty to talk about every single pope and every single mm. emperor and there and were a lot of them there there are so many and it's a <laughs> it's it's a sort of wearying catalogue after a while you know as a reader exhaustion sets in and you get you can't remember who's who and which pope is which and also you slightly stop caring um when each um you know one person expands the empire the next person it contracts mm. one person kills his son the next person kills his mother it, beca- uh, it becomes exhausting. Whereas doing episodes allows you to really dig quite deep into particular stories, into particular themes. Yeah. And each episode can be itself quite a good story. Quite a, That's what I saw myself as doing, writing these sort of 10,000-word short stories almost. Mm-hmm. So th- this
1: is not... This this book, which I'm telling for this is not what that commission was for, right? It transmogrified. Well, it
2: transmogrified, yeah. So the idea was that it would be... Done in a year. Done in a year or two. Um, <laughs> How long did it take? And it took seven. So... <laughs> and in a way, if, you know, I think after two years, when the de- or whenever the deadline expired, if I'd said, oh, I'm nearly there, <laughs> that would have been one thing, but I just had nothing to show them. I, I had just done a lot of reading and written about a chapter and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and they could have just withdrawn the advance at that point. But I think in my favor was the fact that um, the advance wasn't very much. Okay. So, you know, it wasn't necessarily worth their while to take it back again. And there I was sort of willing to work, obviously not for very, not for very much money, and I th- hoped that what th- what I'd managed to provide was sufficiently interesting, that they thought it was worth seeing where it went.
1: And the spread, it was always going to go, you know, to contemporary stuff. You know, you finish with cinema, but it was it was never going to be like just swords and sandals and stuff like that.
2: It was always going to be the whole... It was always going to be the whole story. It was always going to go to, to the 20th century. Yeah, I wasn't sure quite where, um, where it would end. I think when I started, uh, Silvio Berlusconi was still in power. So I thought, you know, that would be a nice ending point, but... By the time I finished, that was rather dated and was that you know you 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 had this classical training um was it weird to kind of have to go
1: well outside that you know to write about the medieval period or to write about the twentieth century or things like that
2: it was it, it was it was enormously challenging um and you know involved a great deal of study, but of course also really good fun i mean wonderful to be able to dive into something like italian cinema which i didn't know much about at all and uh really try to find a thread a way through it um i spent a lot of time with with uh academic papers that was my my method um in the library where were you working i was there's I, i was split between three libraries okay um the london library which is a real luxury Mm. um the british library of course actually four libraries the british library the Warburg is very good and there's the roman society have a library in um, senate house which you can join okay um which is excellent um and yeah you know uh, there's something there's something i think good and fresh about arriving in a huge subject, say Italian cinema or you know, the Risorgimento Which is what? Which is the uh sorry, the um the process of Italian reunification okay. and you know, the rise of Italian nationalism. Um uh, arriving in these areas almost like a stranger landing on a strange island. And you sort of hunt around in the undergrowth, hacking through the bamboo until you find a path, a path opens up, you know, some way of setting this great maze of information in some sort of order. And that process of taking Enor- condensing enormously broad complicated areas down into real stories that was the heart of what the book was mm-hmm. and you know i hope i succeeded i, I hope mean I in, succeeded. A, in
1: a subject that so much has been written about and so forth how how do you you know turn a new furrow or things like that i,
2: I mean i think that's that's really part of it um it's one of the great challenges. How do you justify retreading this ground, which is so well trodden? Um, As a classicist, you always have this problem because there are only so many texts and they've all been studied at infinitum. Mm. Um, And so I think what I tried to do was to preserve some sort of freshness of the encounter if that makes sense the terrain is old but i bring myself a new pair of eyes and meet the material and it produces i don't know how to explain this it produces a sort of almost emotional effect so it's it's really hard to explain There's a sort of there's there's a a tradition, a a tendency, let's say, in popular history, which is to see the point of popular history as communicating, spreading information. You know, I succeed as a popular historian if you learn, you, the reader, learn some facts about Rome. Mm. Um, And I think that's fine. But I think you can do more than that. I don't want to just spread information about Rome I don't want to merely further the public understanding of Rome I want to I wanted to tell stories that would that had the power to move you know stories that had some of the function of a novel or of a short story um and really you know I regard myself as operating almost in the tradition of historical novelists
1: I mean it's uh, we should say that's, that's yeah. his uh, daughter in the in the background. But with the, was there anything that was fictionalised, or you know how you know because you know you're you're not there two thousand years ago when the scene is happening and things like that. What is the sort of policy with that?
2: So no, uh, no detail doesn't come. Fr- no detail comes from nowhere. Yeah. Let's say, um, but equally, I permitted myself to. Um, I permitted myself to imagine scenes. scenes, okay. which means you can assemble details that should be true mm. into your scene. You can visualize things. Could that, you give an example? Um, I could say the scene of Maxentius riding down the road to the Battle of the Milvian Bridge. Mm. And then the battle scene that follows... And you know, r- r- accounts of the Battle of the Milvian Bridge are very, you know, a sort of very partial. And when was the short? Battle? This was three twelve. This is the battle yeah. at which Constantine, the Emperor Constantine, arrives in Rome and okay. conquers under the sign of the cross, according to the legend. Mm-hmm. Maxentius is the is the defeated uh, emperor. Um, I, I always had a sympathy for the for the people on the losing end mm. of history. Um, And with a battle scene like that, you spend a lot of time trying to figure out exactly what shape the shields would have been, you know, whether anyone had horns on their helmets or whether they did a war cry. Um, You try to figure out what became of the Praetorian guard. Mm. Did they slip down the riverbank into the Tiber? What happened to Maxentius himself? People say he was swept away in the river, but you don't know. And, from these bits of conjecture you create hopefully quite a vivid scene sure but that sort of work where you're assembling fragments of information into a coherent narrative is really a lot like what historical novelists do Mm. they're allowed a little bit more license would you be interested
1: in writing historical fiction
2: very cautiously yeah i mean I mean, as I say, I think I think I think I'm quite close to that already, mm-hmm. and I like this point at which I find myself. Um, I like the restriction, trying to create something that's moving, something that has some artistic merit, something a narrative that's compelling, but using only the fragments that we have sure. that they're really there. And if I, you're allowed to use too much cement to sort of stick the, fra- the fragments together, too much imaginative cement. Yeah. That gives you a degree of freedom, but it also I don't know. And now, you know, it's published and you are a popular
1: historian. Can we say that? Is that, allowed? Is I, that I th- a term th- you embrace?
2: I think that's I think that's a term I think that is the term. Yeah. Um it's a term I How do you feel about that? I have, you know, I I I I wrestle with it a little bit. I wrestle in general with the question of where to place myself and mm. what role I can occupy in the sort of great nonfiction ecosystem. Um, uh, my my American publisher, a very in a very what I think is a very American way, put on the front of the ja- uh, the cover, they said. Rome's history brought to life by a master historian. That's what they said, and it was, they they submitted this cover, they s- sent it to me for approval, and I wrote back and said, you know, that I really everything's fine, but I'm not a master historian. <laughs> That's really I'm only in the really third grade. In. Yeah, I mean, uh, and you know, you have people out so there what like it? Mary Beard, for example, yeah. the, the, the the doyen of um, you know academic popularizers. Yeah, whose whole mission in life is to further the public understanding of Rome. And, you know, she writes popular histories that are supported by, you know, a whole academic career. How do you feel about her? Um, I think she does very important work, I okay. would say. But I also don't, that's not, I wouldn't aspire to compete with her. Okay. And it's not a direction that appeals to me particularly. You know, my book is not meant to be a an alternative to her spqr for example yeah um because i think fundamentally she is interested in communicating information spreading information and fundamentally i'm interested in causing people to think about the nature of humanity or the way the world is constructed okay um or the way humans live within history yeah so i'm interested in the sort of more general question that again I think novelists typically address. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 And um I mean are classicist popular
1: are they a collegiate bunch? Or do they have Byzantine and complicated <laughs> feuds with each other? I mean you know, backstage at the you know, Hay Valley, Hay Festival or things like that.
2: They may well do. I'm afraid I I don't know. I've had a rather hermit like uh time of it so far. So I'm not privy to the to the scandals, although I know that um you know if you go into universities and talk to they hate you right well they 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 they, they certainly there's there's a degree of animus uh, yeah. <laughs> towards <laughs> towards uh people who sell too many copies um or any copies or any copies indeed yeah. yes <laughs> <laughs> um I'm doing an event uh in Cambridge. On the twelfth uh at which various people from the different the different little pools of i suppose classical pop history mm. um are coming and it's quite interesting you know the 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 it's interesting you know i I will get to share a platform with some of my academic heroes. Terrible thing to meet your heroes. Terrible, terrible. <laughs> um and it's 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 sort of very odd to find myself thrown into the same bucket as, for example, Peter Wiseman, mm. who's all you know, all of whose books I've read and who is who is I a huge d- okay. he's a professor at Exeter and he okay. writes um brilliantly about about uh ancient Rome. Mm. And he's a huge influence. And so I'm going to feel like a total fraud sitting you know, next day, <laughs> trying to him. How do you think something. he will feel? I, I well, I, I fear. You know I, don't know, I don't know. I dread. I dread to think. And can we
1: talk about this? This experience in Italy that you and I had. So again, we had we had May on last week, and uh, we had this residency, and Sterpo Ferdi was there as well. Um, you know, speak as honestly as you like. There's no need to. Be, but what was what was your experience of that kind of? We had this residency that um, we organised, and Ferdi was one of the writers. What? How did you find that experience?
2: Uh, wonderful! Very, very. Right answer. Positive, yeah. <laughs> no right answer. Uh, no, but it was a, it was a very good experience, and um, it was. I mean, I think what you did very well was create a space. I think that was that was your ambition, wasn't mm. it? To, to create almost a blank space, like a blank page on a notebook, almost that we could fill. There were how many of us were there? Eight,
1: six, yeah, six guests and, and three organizers. Yeah,
2: right. And so we had these blank patches of time morning and afternoon interspersed with these uh, long set meals mm. and <laughs> lectures in the evening. And, and it was, created and a lovely it. rhythm for the day. Yeah. And um, so I enjoyed that very much. And I enjoyed also the atmosphere created by bringing writers eight writers together who i i I think i i imagine actually none of us would count as a real extrovert um Mm. someone who lives for uh society yeah and i certainly and i'm sure some of the others had had emerged blinking from you know (laughs) the rolling stacks of libraries and so forth (laughs) um and to be put together in this very sort of very sort of collegiate way, you know, it was it was like being at university, the long table yeah. at the restaurant. Um, was very um inspiring in some ways, it, it, and we were all, I think it's fair to say, making an effort. Yeah, to. I think so Joke was, the joke was. The joke was that someone to... was going to get killed. That like, well, it was well that was be, the. That was going to be a murder,
1: <laughs> but it didn't happen.
2: There was a um, an ancient druidic oak, in the <laughs> grounds, um, the oldest oak in <laughs> Europe. By, uh, we are, to- we are told. To this we are
1: told. And possibly the largest in Italy as well.
2: Possibly the largest in Italy. Um, an extremely majestic tree, but also potentially quite sinister, mm. um, especially if you've been reading about, you know, uh, wild celts sacrificing people and so yeah. forth which i happened to have been <laughs> um and yeah no but but no one got murdered it was great um
1: and i think talking about talking a while celts, can we we've got a few minutes before the end can we talk about your current project your next book so roman britain
2: yes right roman britain you speak
1: with such enthusiasm
2: <laughs> no well i, I you know there, there is it's 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 very challenging i think as a which said at subject. the residency,
1: Ferdi was bombarded by factual questions about Roman Britain, <laughs> <laughs> whether they had shoes or you know other items of apparel. <laughs> yes, it was. To <laughs> which he gave very convincing answers. Well, that's 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 the that's, that's the, the business. That's, <laughs> the, that's the <laughs> uh,
2: Roman Britain, yes, and and it's it, again, it's very well covered ground. Um, and the path to find a new story or a fresh story on this well-covered ground is a difficult one, but I think there is one, and I'm quite excited about it. And it really is to focus on the twin poles of conquest and resistance. Okay. Um, I th- I, th- I think there's a there's a there's a pathway here. Okay. But it's early days. And how how long is this book meant to take? <laughs> <laughs> I. <laughs> think it's meant to be finished in a year and how long is it going to take i wouldn't like to say <laughs> <laughs> um but it's a uh, well it's very interesting you say um you know you 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 were asking about money earlier which i know is a rule of the podcast mm. and you know I, I i'm at a stage now where if I can write as quickly as I'm meant to, then it's almost a living. Okay, which is very exciting. Okay, you know, so it's a modest. But all uh, the evidence is, you absolutely can't write as quick as you're meant to. Well, that's, that's the thing.
1: It's <laughs> <laughs> except, except in that. Well, Ferdy Addis can, but Ferdinand Addis absolutely Ferdinand, can't. There's something about that
2: last syllable really slowed me down. It's a drag. <laughs> okay, uh,
1: but that's very interesting what to think about it. So if if you were on tempo, yeah,
2: you'd be making a little... I'd be earning sort of minimum wage or something, you know? Right. Okay. So, okay.
1: But, but what does that, does that mean, do you think you could work on tempo or is the tempo just I find it so tr- hard? It's really, jumpy. you
2: know, uh, so, some people are so good. Um, and, but for me, writing is a very slow, it's sort of slow and meticulous and characterized by a great deal of anxiety. I think, um, that, uh, we, we, you know, we probably don't have time to get into this really, but there are people I know who just knock out 10,000 word chapters in a few days mm. and then they edit them and edit them and edit them and you know, go over the drafts four or five times. And I just can't do that. You know, I, my books grow like stalactites. Um, Downwards or upwards. <laughs> which, which, <laughs> one, which one is which? Maybe I mean stalagmites up from the ground. Um, painstaking layers um palimpsest yeah well you know except not overwritten great, but <laughs> but you know each each line feels like agony and then you know seven years later a book comes out <laughs>
1: <laughs> i but think um, uh that is a very good note on which to stop ferdy thanks for being such a fantastic guest on the podcast and wishing you all the very best with the uh the romans and the uh Britons and all the other participants going forward and with everything else Thanks. hello it's us again um Ellie how are you
0: You I'm good I just got back from New York um which is very fun I really want to move out there now oh really if my boyfriend hears this he'll get very scared I thought you were trying to to persuade him to move back I know but I don't think that's happening because he's having such a great time
1: uh, are you organising your life choices about a map? <laughs> <Are you? laughs>
0: no. No. Okay. Consider me schooled, sorry. <laughs> uh what about you?
1: Uh I'm good. Uh I've been doing the clothes of this piece uh for outside, uh, which is good. And I've just seen the PDFs which is very exciting. What's and, the piece? Uh, this thing about the French mountain <laughs> But I know that we're not allowed to talk about the Alps. We're
0: actually not.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Great. There's uh, lots of snow. <laughs> yeah. Uh so that's good. Uh and the sort of next uh, turns in my book saga, which um there's some stuff moving, but I can't talk about that in detail. Uh, but and yeah, no. new commissions. Uh, uh, yes, but I'm not sure I'm going to do it because the money's not good enough. So,
0: what is your what is the rate you won't allow now?
1: I'm extremely expensive. No, um, I
0: think for our listeners, you, you think, think I we should? should can? S- well, we ask our own guests this. So. I think I,
1: yeah. So I think the point the point is basically that. American magazines pay a lot more than British ones like a factor of three more so
0: two dollars a word
1: yeah two dollars a word or north of that Um, and top British magazines will pay a lot less than that but this offer I've just had so like 40p a word
0: like 3,500
1: to 5,000 pounds for a long read something like that yeah Uh, but I've just been offered like um, uh, about a third of that so shame them who is it I'm not going to say because we're we're still in negotiation oh okay fine (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so, So. but it, it's interesting because I can kind of... Um, How do you negotiate that? Uh, you just send, like, one emoji. <laughs> no. <laughs> the poo emoji. <laughs> uh, no, that's not what I'll be doing. Um, anyway... <laughs> that's definitely what I would do. <laughs> Lean in, Ellie. Um, Actually,
0: Dylan Jones always said, always ask for 5% more, no matter what the rate is.
1: Yeah, minimum. Yeah. Um. Uh, maybe anyway. you said
0: more than that because that is quite small
1: yeah it is quite small um, <laughs> just meant for me <laughs> anyway this has been Always Take Notes hosted by me Simon Aiken, and me Eleanor Halls our producer is Nicola Keane um, uh, what, what do we say now?
0: Um, if you'd like to find us on social media no there's
1: more our graphic design is by yeah. James Edgar and our score is by Jess Danheiser just because
0: they <laughs> still listen <this> and, and <laughs> care about these credits <laughs> uh, if you'd like to find us on social media it's Always Take Notes on Instagram and Facebook and take notes always on Twitter. And And if you, well done Ellie. (laughs) Sorry. Very slick. Uh, And if you'd like to uh, rate, review and subscribe on iTunes, that'd be fab.
1: And if you would like to contribute to our crowdfunding page, that's on Patreon at always take notes. Thank you.
0: Bye.